are about to listen to is a podcast produced by Philoclea Ministries. Philoclea Ministries is offered to all free of charge. However, there are real and immediate needs associated with it. If you are a regular listener or enjoy any of the content produced by Philoclea Ministries, we humbly ask that you consider becoming a contributor. You can learn more about our funding needs at www.philocleaministries.org. Please note that Philoclea Ministries is not a 401c3 nonprofit organization and that contributions are not tax deductible. Supporting Philoclea Ministries is just like supporting your other favorite podcasters and content creators, and all proceeds pay the production bills, make it possible for us to pay our content manager, and provide a living stipend for Father David. God bless you and enjoy the podcast. Glory to Jesus Christ, glory forever. Welcome back, everybody, to our study of the Evercatinos. And we are currently in the second volume, which we just began a few weeks ago. And today we are on page 34, starting with letter I, about midway down the page from Abba Isaac. And if you remember, uh, we've been discussing humility for quite a while now in both of our groups, uh, the Evercatinos as well as the Ladder of Divine Ascent. And in this particular hypothesis, we're looking at how one deals with both insult and praise. What is the movement of the mind and the heart? Pride uh, can take hold of us in both regards. Uh, that When somebody insults us, we can become defensive, angry, or when we are praised, we can take hold of that and uh, have a, an inflated self of sense and a sense of self and you know, focus upon uh, ourself rather than God or given, giving him the glory for the gifts that we may have received. And, uh, and so these are uh, important reflections as we move forward. And uh, it was nice at the monastery to hear them reading the Evergatinos at dinner. So uh, to know that they're reading it along with us as well. So again, we're picking up with Abba Isaac. And it's a good thing that we've been reading the two together and especially making the connection uh, with Christ and uh, the revelation that comes through the incarnation and through the cross, that this humble, self-emptying love, uh, self-effacing love, is made manifest to us through the revelation of Christ. And we come to see that this is not one virtue among others, but contains the other virtues within it, uh, but also uh, is a revelation of the very essence of God that uh, to remove the imperfections of the passions and uh, to begin to conform ourselves to the life of Christ in this fashion draws us into the very life of the Holy Trinity. So there is something that is deifying about this virtue of humility and the more that it grows within us. And I think it's helpful to understand this in particular because it is so difficult as we read through these examples and uh, the letting what letting go of the ego looks like. Uh, it can be very difficult to listen to or imagine 
uh, embracing this or imitating it in our life. I think without that clarity of what comes to us through it, that we can come to love it and want to pursue it. And I, Abba Isaac, uh, of course, is one of the, the greatest of the fathers in terms of his writings, and uh, I think expresses this with the, his own kind of beauty and clarity. He writes, endure degradation and humiliation with goodwill so as to acquire the boldness of an unimpeded relationship with God. When a man willingly endures every harsh word, providing that he has not previously sinned against the man who utters such words, though he takes upon his head a thorny crown, he is nonetheless blessed, for at an unknown time he will receive an imperishable crown. The perfection of humility lies in the ability to withstand degradation and every false accusation with joy. For he who is truly humble of mind does not become flustered when he is unjustly accused, nor does he defend himself in the face of the wrong done to him. Rather, he accepts the slander as though it were true. And he does not try to convince people that he has been unjustly accused but rather ask forgiveness. So to have reached this level, I think one has to already find one's identity uh, in Christ, that one sees oneself in relationship to him and the life that has become possible for us through him, that our need to cling to a kind of a worldly identity, respect from others, uh, or protect ourselves from insults begins to fade away. Our attachment uh, to this kind of self-esteem uh, no longer has hold upon us uh, as perhaps it once did. And again, Isaac, like John Climacus and some of the other writers, tells us that it is a thorny crown, but what it offers us is imperishable, he says, an imperishable crown that we are drawn into this unimpeded relationship with God, that when we are able to let go of the ego and let go of the anger and frustration that often arises when we are insulted or abused in such, way, such a way, that uh, we are able to experience the fullness of that love. There's nothing that darkens the mind and the heart. Uh, every impediment has been removed. And so, again, seeing it in this context, I think is important uh, because outside of it, it could seem simply as you know, a self-contempt or self-hatred or uh, a kind of, of masochism, rather than being tied to what has been revealed to us about the nature of God and love, and specifically his love for us, his willingness that while we were so enemies, as it were, to take upon himself the, the burden and the weight of our sin. He who is perfectly innocent, who is perfect love, takes upon himself the weight and the burden of the world and its sin. 
And when we see things with that kind of clarity, and when we also begin to experience something of that love, uh, as we humble ourselves, then one can begin to run forward with uh, a uh, swifter pace, uh, not uh, shrinking back, I think, whenever we have these kind of encounters within our life. And as we will see towards the end of this little paragraph, that the only place to, to begin is to uh, allow ourselves to be tested and enter into these moments as fully as we can. Uh, first, the struggle might be great for us, and we will find ourselves respondingly, responding as we typically would, of wanting to, to protect ourselves, until I think we begin to experience the presence of Christ uh, in, in the humbling itself, in the very act of the humbling. He goes on to say, indeed, many have themselves provided reason for being characterized as profligates without being so. Some have been called adulterers and endured this, though they were wholly innocent of the charge. They tearfully took upon themselves the fruit of a sin which they did not commit, indeed asking forgiveness of their detractors for a sin which they did not commit. Whereas, in fact, they had crowned their souls wholly with purity and virginity. Yet others, so as not to be praised for virtue, which they hid within them, appeared to men as insane, though they were seasoned by divine salt and stable in their inner joy, such that on account of their great perfection, the holy angels heralded their feats. Do not then think that you are humble if you cannot accept condemnation for even insignificant things. If indeed you want to find out if you are truly humble, test yourself by whatever befalls you. So there are those, he tells us, who have taken on all of these things, even though, though they know a kind of perfect virtue and uh, are innocent wholly of the, their detractors' claims. And again, this is uh, a kind of conformity to Christ, but not, again, in, in an abstract fashion. It is something that is unifying, that draws us deeply into that relationship with him and into the very life of the Holy Trinity. And uh, and so again, the uh, portrait that is, you know, coming into clarity for us is that of Christ Himself. That this this is what we are called to, to to become Christ. And uh, and even though we cannot claim uh, this perfection of inner innocence we can nonetheless be drawn into it uh, in and through these experiences where we are willing to take upon ourselves the accusations and the, and the detraction of others. And as I mentioned, he says, the, the way to begin 
is to test ourselves, even in the smallest way. And I think on a day-to-day basis, we face this, you know, somebody not responding to us when we call them, when we text them, even something as insignificant as that can often make us feel that we're not being respected in some way. And so to be able to let go of that irritation or, or somebody says something to us with a kind of sharpness of not responding in kind and perhaps remaining silent or trying to respond with a kind of, of joyfulness, that these are the ways that we, we begin to test ourselves and allow the virtue to be formed within us. You know, when we are entrusted with small things and embrace them, then we will be entrusted with things that are greater. Although that might not be something that we want in, in this these circumstances to be entrusted with a greater test of, of our humility. So again, certainly solid food that we are being presented with here. You know, what does it mean to be a Christian more than a name and, and more than just an, an idea or more than just a kind of moral perfection as we would imagine it? That what, what is it to be drawn into the very life of Christ and for his virtue to become our virtue? So to be drawn into a life that is beyond what we could imagine or what is beyond reason. And this is often the this, this stumbling block for us because so often we come up to that point where this seems unreasonable to me. You know, I cannot, I have to draw the line there, we will tell ourselves. And often for good reason, from our perspective as human beings. But from the moment of our baptisms, we cease to be human beings alone, that we are drawn into the very life of God. And so the virtue and the love that we are called to is to be that of Christ himself. And so this means allowing ourselves to be drawn at times along a path that can seem rather dark to us uh, because it is beyond understanding and even beyond perhaps our level of trust. You know, it can really put that trust in the providence and the love of God to the test. You know, where is God in this? We will often say to ourselves, and it becomes hard to for us to imagine where consolation will be found or what fruit this could possibly bear within our life. And so we will often back away from it quickly. Any thoughts or comments before we move on to the Gerontcon? Okay. Once a certain novice monk went from the Skeet to the Cenobitic Monastery of the Tabanesiotans. Nearly all the monks of this monastery were holy men and were punctilious ascetics. 
After 30 days, the novice monk went to the Archimandrite, who headed the monastery, and said to him, Bless me and release me, Abba, for I cannot stay here. Why, my child, the father asked. Because the novice monk replied, Here there is neither toil nor reward for me, since the fathers here are all strugglers. While I am a sinful man, I prefer to go where I can find men who insult me and show me scorn, for these are the things which save a sinful man. On hearing this, the elder was astonished, and knowing that the novice was in truth a doer of the commandments of God, he released him, saying, saying to him, Go, my child, so as to empower and strengthen your heart and to persevere in the Lord. So, again, a hard thing to imagine. You know, a novice, you know, of all things, a novice monk enters into a monastery, and a monastery where the monks are all striving. They're all strugglers. They're seeking the life of perfection and of love. And uh, he's treated there with such kindness and respect that he knows that there's not going to be anything there, as it were, to rub off the rough edges. And so he wants to go to a place where he's going to be challenged and put to the test. And often the fathers will say, you know, don't seek uh, a spiritual director who is going to tell you what you want to hear. And so if, you know, if you struggle with gluttony, don't go to a spiritual director who always has uh, a bowl of chocolate sitting out on his desk or, in, you know, inviting you to have a, a little meal with him each time. Or if there is a kind of touchiness or sensitivity, you know, not, not to avoid going to uh, a director who's going to help you address that and overcome that, who's, who's going to compel you to see it uh, in both his language and the things that are asked or the disciplines that are imposed. And, um, you know, it's hard. One needs certainly to have uh, a discerning superior here uh, in this regard. And so, one wouldn't want to indiscriminately place oneself in a position where it is simply toxic or abusive. Uh, I think it might even be hard for us to imagine uh, finding a place where there are all strugglers, where everybody has reached such a level of perfection where we would be treated so perfectly and kindly that we would want to leave uh, to uh, be put to the test. Uh, but, you know, the, the nonetheless, the point is well taken that, you know, do we see in the things of our day-to-day -day life and the things that are often, uh, you know, an affront to our sensibilities is also an opportunity or a test to grow in virtue? Or do we simply seek to avoid them or respond in kind? Michael writes, to your earlier point, my guess is that the saints uh, this, see being like Christ as an easy equation, one plus one, 
we see it as algorithms. Yeah, we often lack that clarity or simplicity, I think, of the saints in regard to seeing, you know, what is offered to us uh, and what that looks like for us in our our day-to-day life. We complicate things in in either, in other words, uh, which I think the, the fathers sort of cut through that pretty quickly that what we are called to quite simply and again in an unvarnished way is to embrace the life of crucified love and we domesticate the gospel uh, often uh, to put that out at the margins and uh, or to sanitize it in some form or another. Letter K from Abba Zosimus. Abba Zosimus said, of many kinds are the effects of our intentions. It is possible for an ardent spirit to find with God in a single moment favor that another spirit, if it is cold and lax, cannot find in a period of 50 years. Thus, for example, if the demons see that someone has been insulted, belittled, and hurt, or has suffered some similar thing and is upset, not because he suffered something bad, but because he failed to endure this temptation with courage and without feeling sorrow. Such a spiritual disposition the demons greatly fear, for they know that this man has found the way of truth and wishes to walk in accord with commandments of God. So, interesting. You know, the intention, uh, Zosimus tells us, is the important thing. And so a person might be striving to embrace what we've just read about, uh, but failing and mourning over the fact that they're failing. But the fact that they mourned, that they uh, gave themselves over to being irritated, the demons are filled with great fear of it because it shows they, they do see the truth, even though they, they fail to live it. Uh, they, they know that by freely embracing, you know, those insults without being uh, overly uh, insult, insults without being overly wounded by them or responding to them uh, by becoming upset. Uh, you know, that this is the path forward. Another time, the same Abba said, if one brings to mind someone who has caused him upset, ridiculed him, hurt him, or has in any way caused him some evil, he should think on of him as a physician and from the depths of his heart thank him for these things. If, however, he entertains in his mind thoughts against such a person, then he is giving thought, like the demons, to something contrary to his soul. Indeed, he becomes a demon himself and his own enemy, since he does not wish to be released from this evil, but to continue uncured. For he were, if he were not ill, he would not be preoccupied, I'm sorry, he would not be occupied with feelings against the person who made him sad and upset him and whom Christ sent to him as a physician to reveal his illness through assault and injury. 
I even had trouble reading this paragraph out loud, just stumbling over it because there's something uh, so uncomfortable about this. You know, certainly to look upon those over the years who have caused me grief uh, as a physician, uh, you know, it's next to it is impossible uh, outside of the grace of God to be able to see that. I think uh, when we bear wounds from that and we see those wounds in one particular way uh and perhaps haven't been able to open ourselves to the the healing nature of god's grace they continue to be wounds they continue to be uncured and so we are unable to see what they can free us from and uh I think it's important to read this critically. You know, certainly there are kinds of abuses that one can endure in this life that do require another kind of healing um, that go beyond, you know, I think bearing insult or detraction. And so I don't want us to conflate the, the two. You know, I, I think at you know, certain points in people's lives, there is a kind of need of healing for the wounds that exist uh, from the sinfulness of the world and the sinfulness of others. Uh, that uh, and they, before a person's able to see uh, things in such a way. And so I don't think we can throw this out at every individual indiscriminately. And this is, again, where I think a spiritual father has to be discerning. You know, what has a person gone through in their life? What are the natures, what is the nature of the wounds? And what is the balm that needs to be applied? Uh, and, you know, certainly one is not going to tell a person, well, the problem here is that you lack humility when they've experienced nothing but abuse uh, throughout perhaps decades of their life. Uh, and I think this is where we have to be careful with this, this teaching here. Uh, because, you know, to be able to open oneself up to the healing grace of God, uh, you know, there is a kind of healing that takes place even before this kind of forgiveness can take place. And it doesn't mean uh, also thrusting oneself back into what is toxic or abusive. And, you know, I think often spiritual teachings <clears throat> have been put forward that way. You know, I've heard of priests telling, you know, wives who are being physically abused, you know, well, they're in a sacrament and, you know, that they are to stay within that abusive relationship, uh, you know, with the hope of converting the other. And, you know, it's led uh, to a lifelong abuse and for so many over the course of time. And there's not wisdom in that nor is there anything that's particularly holy within it in fact just the opposite and so um <clears throat> i don't know if anyone has anything to add to that but 
Uh, I had I a thought. Okay. When you read that, what it reminded me of was um, Hannah and Penna. You know, the old testament, like she was constantly being mocked because she couldn't have children. Mm -hmm. And what it did, it, it drove her into the temple, not away from it. Right. I didn't think of it more of the abuse of just like, I guess, where does that drive you to? Right. You know, and I thought she was always being mocked about that. And also the other one, um, Abraham, you know, um, Kagar. That's she funny. was beaten. Uh, look what happened to her. And she's thrown this dead with no food. And then she says, you are the God that sees me. Mm -hmm. She cried out to God. So I don't think it is the physical and mental abuse as much as where, you know, I thought you know, what I heard was that where it can drive you to. You don't want to drive back into the abuse. That's right. That's the right. other way. That's right. I, I, I agree with you with all those examples and but certainly I've talked with enough people over the course of time too that have experienced abuse from childhood. And so it becomes very hard uh, not to internalize a lot of that abuse as a kind of self-hatred, self-contempt, uh, or a difficulty certainly believing in a loving God or um not to hear you know this words the words of uh accepting such things as god's will as something that is absurd you know given uh the nature of what takes place that god would will that someone would physically or sexually abuse another and uh and so, you know, I think it's important often for us to pause. Yeah. Talking about this. Pardon um, me. Mm -hmm. may, I, may I interject? Of course. Is it Susanna? Yes, yeah, Susanna. Um, I think this is a really important thing to point out. Um, that in fact, I think it's it's really an act of faith for a person who's been in that circumstance, as you pointed out. It's hard for them to believe in a loving God and it's more of an act of faith to to embrace that that lovingness um, by leaving a harmful situation that's habitual than it is to um, say yeah um, I, I can accept all this bad treatment because that's a holy thing it's not a holy thing if you're accepting it because you know it's it's a an expression of inaction the gesture is an inaction and not a gesture of action uh, and of, of of life of the life giving love of God. Yeah, and I've and I've seen a lot that um, of abuse and things uh, of that nature that have been uh, spiritualized or repressed yes. and then spiritualized mm -hmm. uh, by individuals. And so uh, I was definitely raised that way. Yeah. So <laughs> my parents were in charge of the church where I grew up mm -hmm. and um, definitely raised us to always forgive and always accept and didn't matter what other people did. And it is not humility anymore uh, when when it's 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 a it's out of a habit and it's out of um, you're, you're trained to not to not um, care about yourself. Right. There's part of caring about yourself that is also the expression of of the truth of the divine truth that you're god's creation you know and so. if you begin communicating that to others as well mm -hmm. so if you're safe the person you know represses it even to the point of becoming a religious 
you know, takes mm-hmm. this religious identity, uh, it can create this stilted uh, image of Christianity and spirituality as a whole. And um, the person certainly doesn't realize it, but it comes through in what they say uh, to others. And, you know, Christianity is not uh, and should never be, I think, uh, hiding from the truth. Mm -hmm. We believe truth is a person. And uh, I think so often, though, um, you know, what has led to some extraordinary distortions over the course of history uh, that have made Christianity almost seem unrecognizable at times, exactly that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm so grateful you pointed that out. Okay. Thank you, Father. You're welcome. Another comment here from uh, what's the T stand for? Just out of curiosity. I'll, I'll let you. Tracy. Okay, very good. Tracy writes personal experience with a Trappist monk who was very discerning and helped to heal many souls through simply sharing God's love repeatedly consistently for many years until the persons began to really believe the honesty and the gift of being loved, life cha- life changing. Right, absolutely. I think um, that this is most often the important thing. You know, I think when people are coming to priests or those who are responsible for the, the care of souls, that, you know, the they, you aren't, to lose sight of the person that comes to you and that Christ has led to you and see them as an object to be fixed or converted, but rather to be a person to be loved. And often the wounds are so deep that they've never been loved or never experienced that love other than within a a distorted uh, other than in a distorted manner that has been often very dark and wounding. And so uh, the priest is in a privileged often and, and unique position to be a source of healing just by being present to the other over the course of time, uh, to be the presence of uh, a, a Christ-like love. Uh, that this is what bring, brings healing. Uh, it's rarely, you know, preaching uh, that does that, but it's human kindness, tenderness. Uh, you know, these are some of the more important virtues that are often lost upon us when, we, when our Christianity falls into an ideology rather than a life lived. Uh, when it's a life lived, then uh, tender love and kindness is often what is most transformative. And I think whenever we intellectualize the faith, when we turn it into an ideology or philosophy, then it not only loses its capacity to heal, but it can become something uh, quite ugly or uh, something that doesn't lead to the truth, but away from it. So good, very good comment. Okay, number three. 
Oh, oh yeah, I didn't finish the previous paragraph. If indeed he truly wishes to be cured, it is to his benefit to consider the person who troubled him, his benefactor, and to accept all evil things coming from that person as therapeutic medicines that have been sent to him by Jesus. To be thankful for these things, even if for the moment they may cause him sadness. For an ill man is not happy when he has an operation or undergoes cauterization or takes uh, a, a cathartic. Indeed, quite the opposite. He is unsettled even thinking about it. But when he convinces himself that without these things, he is not going to be cured from his illness, he yields himself all the more to his physician, for he knows well that after a little inconvenience, he can be delivered from even the most bothersome chronic disease. Uh, again, I think this requires a, a certain level of discernment that the, the physician who allows those things to be curative is Christ who transforms them by his grace that uh, allows the person who is able to experience the presence of Christ in them as one who's uniquely born them and, and born them fully that he finds that which is curing. And again, you know, it's, it's not a magical thing for us. It's about the presence, the real presence of God who has assumed all, who's taken all that is human and about, and uh, that is uh, human about our lives upon himself, including that which is the, the, the darkest of things. And it's not as though that takes away our experience of them in the world, but it transforms them simply because he is present in them, they do not become our identity. And in fact, what these paragraphs are telling us is that even the ugliest things can raise us up to the identity of one who bore the world's sin. It can conform us to Christ. And so we do not need to fear them. We do not need to fear our wounds or our brokenness, uh, that there's nothing that can keep us from Christ, given the fact that he's born all of it. And again, you know, we have to be careful here because, you know, what the fathers present us is not a romantic vision of life. I think they see the ugliness of sin and the brokenness that it can bring to our life and the harm that the sins of others can can bring to people but i think they also see all of that permeated with the presence of christ who embraced all and that is where we find hope that these things whatever they might be even the things that are most heinous uh, have do not have the last word in regards to our identity or the meaning and the value of our life. And sometimes being able to see that is a, a path you know, for healing for us, that we can begin to see ourselves as you know, some distance between ourselves and the things that we've experienced. 
Sharon writes, or there's a couple here, Susanna writes, being the presence of Christ's love over time by itself has the power to heal. Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst, Christ's presence in itself. And then Sharon writes, this discussion reminds me of a woman who was taken hostage by a gunman. She retrieved her Bible and spoke to him. Baptist, I think, but still, if folks are interested, here's the link. Very good. And Anthony writes, I think I heard this story. So, again, you know, this being presented with this unvarnished image of the gospel and of Christ that uh, I think so often, you know, what comes out of our mouth, what we say about Christianity and what we think about it is very far from the reality. Uh, even thinking about the cross, I think we sanitize it. Um, say what you will, but those like in uh, is it South America, the ones that, that have, you know, these particular images of the crucified Lord that are very realistic uh certain cultures you know were you see christ as he would have looked on the cross and having been scourged and where the image is not uh uh sanitized and i don't think we want to overly f f physicalize if that's the right word uh things too diminishing what he bore spiritually but uh, I think we often have, again, this romantic romantic notion of things. But when, you know, the rubber hits the road and we start going through life and the crosses are, wait, you know, rested upon us over and over again, you know, is that going to be something that allows us to not only endure, but be able to find the presence of God in the midst of that darkness? Okay, number three, Evagrius also said, I do not condemn those who speak ill of me. Instead, I call them my benefactors and I do not turn away the physician of souls when he offers degradation as a medicine to the conceited soul. I fear lest it might be said of my own soul by the spirit of God, we would have healed Babylon but she is not healed. Since when, since then, our Lord is good, he's given to us holy commandments, analogous with our evils, which expunge our evils by cauterization and purgatives. It is indeed impossible for us to be delivered from our sickness in any other way, save by proper and appropriate therapies. So, Again, you know, I think when we want to think of when we are thinking about being healed, uh, that part of what we are seeking to be healed of is our pride. And this is where the purgatives and the cauterizations are to be applied. You know, you don't, uh, you know, when a person comes in who's, as we've talked about, deeply wounded and otherwise, these are not the things that are going to be curative. Uh, although if we suffer from pride, they certainly will be. And uh, again, you know, he uses the capital here, the physician of souls, you know, that it is, is Christ uh, 
who's the true physician of souls and sees things with a kind of clarity. And one of the things that we don't see with clarity is what others have really gone through and the burdens that they have carried. And one of the worst things we can do as Christians is to preach at them uh, about their experiences when we know nothing of them. And, uh, you know, as a priest over the course of the decades, you know, one of the things you learn is that you have to slow down and make no assumption, make no judgment whatsoever, and to listen, and to listen not only to what is being said, but to what is not being said, and allow things to come forward uh, as the person is ready or able to bring them forward and uh, again sometimes we have to let go of even you know any kind of expectation other than to be the one that god wants us to be for that individual and uh and sometimes we and priests can be unwilling to do that uh, lack the faith to do that, or lack the spirituality, the life of prayer, to to be as angels, you know, or to to be like those who will go where angels fear to tread, as it were, to enter into another person's hell with them, and to to be and to stay with them, you know. We don't perhaps talk enough about Christ's descent into hell and what that speaks to us, uh, again, about the nature of that love, that there is no place where the love of God does not reach, where that healing love of God does not reach. And if that is true, then if we are to love others, then we are also and must be willing to enter into that those places with them. And we aren't going to be able to do that by our own strength or by human wisdom, but rather by a kind of divine love and discernment that God gives us. It's a particular grace. And again, uh, this speaks to us a lot about form what formation should really look like, you know. What does it mean to get up into the pulpit or to teach groups about you know, specific doctrines or teachings if we have the incapacity to love because we lack humility, because we lack purity of heart or lack prayer? You know, if priests become hard hands, then the first sign of the wolf or the first sign of, you know, that things are going to be difficult or painful, they're going to flee, disappear. I knew one priest who said that when he was growing up, his his priest sat in the rectory and watched cartoons all day long. And it's a it shot makes you shudder to think about that, but it's sort of what uh Maureen mentioned. She watched The Last Anchorite and he said, you know, up in the mountains, he said, I could sleep for 19 hours a day and nobody would know, you know, but I have to interiorize 
the role in order that I give myself over to the prayer and the silence. And, uh, and so it is for all of us living within the world, you know, we can hide a lack of faith behind a facade, uh, but, you know, in the eyes of God, all things were seen. And so we have to interiorize the gospel. And that only comes through living it as fully as we can. Number four. Another time, the same father said, no one speaks falsely except for him who praises and blesses me. And no one tells the truth except for those who condemn me and insult me. And the latter do not tell the whole truth, since they do not know the hidden things of my heart. If they were to acquire the ability to know, let me not say all, but just a small part of my evil deeds, surely they would dismiss me as slime, a foul odor, or an evil spirit. And even if the whole body of mankind were to become tongues, so as to accuse me uh, for my shortcomings, it would not be possible to describe to the extent deserved my disgrace. This, the only thing I could write next to this was ouch in capital letters. Uh, and, you know, to, if we think of our life and all the things that are hidden, and hidden to us and certainly hidden to others. And, you know, I think we understand what the author is saying here. If, you know, we create this image of the self that is put forward uh, and often it is a false self, we want to be seen in a certain way. And certainly all that is within our hearts, all the, the evil or sinful things we thought we've done we've imagined you know the, nobody sees any of these things outside of god and if if they did they would be horrified and the image here i think is extraordinary even if a whole body of mankind were to become tongues <laughs> yeah it's such a powerful image they couldn't accuse me enough of the of my shortcomings that if even a part of them, and uh, and I, I understand what the author is saying here, that you know our response to the mercy of God is only can only be gratitude, and there's no sense of earning it. That all, in a sense, is grace. That God has given us His mercy, and our response is but to take hold of it as fully as we can and allow to bear the fruit that God desires, but we can have no illusions. And I think this is what uh, this particular father is putting forward here for us, that if the truth were fully seen as God sees it through and through, uh, then we would be much more hesitant about what we think and say about others, much less what we think about ourselves. Anthony writes, the multiplicity of my thoughts are showing me the necessity of praying simple, like 
the Jesus prayer so that it's not to be exposed so much and dwell so much on thoughts. Right. You know, I think, I think the further one progresses in the spiritual life, I think that becomes more and more. So, you know, the, the thoughts, ideas, uh, always fail. I think it's the experience of the love and the mercy of God in silence uh, that alone captures what it is that we are both seeking and what we receive from him. And uh, and as well as the, the things that we desperately seek to build or accomplish fade away because we know it passes into dust and ever so quickly that what becomes important is our love of God and giving ourselves over to that love. And, uh, you know, being at the monastery this past week, is you know it's always is a beautiful experience but prior to going there i'd read something in uh climacus uh, i'd read further on in discernment uh and the step that we're on now and he says you know angels are the model for monks and monks are to be like angels for the rest of the church but he says in order for this to be so he says you must not diversify you must not fragment your desire for that which comes from God. And, and you must not diversify your life uh, where, again, your ener energies are uh, directed to multiple things, man many things which have no enduring value, and not direct that energy towards what is most important. And Isaac the Syrian tells us, your life has been given to you for one purpose, repentance, to turn toward God. And so if what we are doing is not in some way a turning toward God, uh, whatever it might be, then it has limited value. And we, we need to be able to look at that and say, you know, am I engaging in this in such a way that I'm offering it to God? or that it arises out of the grace of God acting within me rather than my own willfulness or the, the need to satisfy my uh, desire for the things of this world or the identity I wish to create for myself. Sharon writes, is there a difference between when God confronts us with situations intended to humble us versus situations when others exhibit their own free will uh, and we are unlucky recipients, bystanders? I don't think there's any situation where God is not present in it. Uh, but there certainly are situations that arise out of the sinfulness of others. And we are the recipients of that. And where we find hope is that God can make all things work for the good of those who love him. And if what others do in their free will humbles us and leads us to, you know, to pray or leads us to act with patience, if it does humble us, then uh, it's part of, you know, God transforming it by his grace. Uh, but there are situations that I think God brings before us 
to sanctify us, knowing that it's needed. But we have to be careful in attributing everything to the will of God. Uh, in the sense of, again, the abusive things that people do. Uh, I think we have to acknowledge that part of it is because we live in a fallen world and that sin leads people to do certain things that are often heinous. And uh, again, uh, you know, God is greater than these things and has opened up a life to us where, you know, again, this darkness need not consume us. Uh, but we, we don't, again, want to romanticize or glorify these things in some sort of odd way. We don't want to spiritualize that which is not from God. And sometimes we do that and do that wrongly. So... Any uh, final thoughts or comments? This this is a hard one, and you know I'm struggling myself as we. I, I have one. Okay. Well, I think it's. I mean, it's nothing like what you. I think it might be, but I, I've seen stories where like people's children have been murdered, mm -hmm. so horribly, you know, unexpectedly, and um, how the parent will give their thing and they'll say something like, "I choose to forgive you." Because I don't, I don't want to carry. So you think of that as being what could be more horrifying than that? To have it, you know, that to me is just listening to that. It would make me weep. Or almost, I think that what could have made that person like bitter for the rest of their life or angry, and you know, it could have drove them to a bad place. Maybe alcoholism. They actually, but you could tell when they're saying it. That it's not just a saying it as a cliche that they've come to some place that they've had to forgive this person. Right. Now, I've always been amazed at things. I think how you, know, you think you can do something until something is, is brought to you. Mm. And then you wonder, could I do that? Right. So I always found that there must be a, a grace of God that he can give people this yeah. grace because it wouldn't be a natural thing. That's right. Yeah. It's funny when we were at the monastery, you know, every day we would read, from the lives of the saints. And there were a number of martyrs uh, that were read about. And the abbot at one of the meals commented, he said, you know, these have been jarring. And he says, I can't even imagine. He said, the first fingernail they'd pull off, I'd be, uh, you know, denying my faith and saying that I embrace whatever they want me to believe. You know, that it's hard to imagine the power of that grace in enabling a person to endure uh, for the sake of Christ. So a lot for us to think about and pray about here. And if any questions, again, you know, all of this is challenging. So if questions come up in the week to come or, uh, you know, send them to me or bring them to the next group is always good too, if you want to discuss them with the group as a whole. Father, I have a question, um, okay. un, sort of unrelated. Um, I just got the Evergentino's um, books, the four of them. Mm -hmm. I just arrived here. Uh, is there a study guide? How do I know what to read for next week? Or just, do I just pick up from where we left off? 
Yeah, I, we went straight through. And so you can read the beginning volume on your own and go through it and go back and listen to the podcast okay. uh, to help out. But we're in the second volume. Okay. Now. We've just begun the second volume. Okay. Okay. Don't worry, we'll be going for another 10 years. So there's plenty of time to, to catch up. Okay. Thanks. Okay. All right. I'm glad you got them. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I will say something. I am going to share something. Um, and it's pretty, you know, intense and personal. Mm -hmm. Um, before my wife died, um, you know, she went through a civil war and, um, during the time her neighborhood got bombarded, mm -hmm. she was abused. She actually went through real hunger down in El Salvador. Mm -hmm. um, she saw people dead when she was four years old and, and I mean, just really traumatic stuff. And, um, it wasn't until the last year of her life when she got really, really sick. Mm -hmm. uh, it was during that sickness. Um, sometimes she told me she couldn't withstand the pain anymore. And I said, listen, I, I can't, I don't know what you're going through, but you're on a cross, mm -hmm. you know, just know that Jesus is there suffering with you. And I tried to visualize it, but it was her and her, all of the anger um, that she had suffered because of what she had got, it went away. Mm -hmm. um, and as she grew closer and she was constantly started practicing prayer and she mm -hmm. read the way of the pilgrim and, or she heard it in an audio. Right. Um, it, it, in that suffering, there really was a, a, a purgation of sorts. So I'm just saying that, you know, sometimes it may sound, seem horrible, but in it you know maybe there's a little cross there that can help us out it's certainly her and when she left this world um her face transformed into peace and um she went so gently so um you know at, at the end of the day I, I know it sounds weird and maybe um it just felt like everything was worth it for that one final moment that i got to see her at the end like that so i just wanted to share that a beautiful story and thank you for sharing it with the with the group and you know certainly have seen similar things in family members as well as you know those i've cared for over the course of the years and it is an amazing thing when you see grace in those moments when a person is going through the heaviest cross and how transformative it can be there's a kind of freedom you know that eventually comes to the person and yeah. I don't know if we would ever have words for that. I think it's the experience that you describe, uh, something of the taste of the peace of the kingdom. Amen. And the freedom that comes through it. So yeah, thank God. you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you too, Father, and everyone. Okay. Thank you. And thank you all uh, for sticking with us here th through tonight's group. Difficult one, of course. And, uh, so keep me in your prayers and we'll see you hopefully this Wednesday too for the group for the latter if you're able. Okay, won't we close as always with you, our Father, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. The Lord be with you.
May Lord God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.